Let me invite you, if you haven't done so already, to turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. We're going to pick things up starting in verse 35 this morning. We started John 1 a couple weeks ago, and this morning we're going to finish off um, the last part of this chapter. It's a big chapter. Uh, last week, the, we, were, we mainly talked about John the Baptist and his ministry and his testimony and the individuals that were going to, to, out to see him in light of what was happening in his ministry. And John, in, in a sense, had one sermon, and his sermon was, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was his sermon, and that was uh, the invitation that he extended to uh, those that were in his company and, and us as, as readers as well. And we all know it's one thing to, to, uh, to look at something or to see something, but it's another thing to look at something. It's one thing to hear something, but it's another thing to listen and John, in his, in his command there to, to behold, to look at, it's to, to be fixed upon, to, to look at, to gaze upon. Let that hold your attention, so to speak. And so as we prepare to, to hear this uh, passage, because again, we're going to see that sermon, if you will, uh, behold the Lamb of God, we're going to hear those words again. I thought it was important for us to, to answer in our own heads, and our own hearts, what is it that you're beholding? This morning, what, what are you looking at? As you think about your, your past week, what have you been looking at? Maybe you've been looking at something with, with your mind. Uh, it, it's been something in, in that you've been looking at it with a sense of, and it's described as called anxiety or worry or stress, something that, that you're preoccupied with, that you're looking at, that, that's holding your attention. Uh, maybe you've been looking at something in it this, this past week and you've been just looking at the mundane. It's just been another week, uh, another week of routine and predictability and the same things at work and the same things at home and the same meals and the same shows. What is it that you have been looking at? What's, what's been causing you to have your attention focused on this? Maybe it's a problem and you're wrestling with it. What's the solution? And you know that this dynamic and there's that dynamic. How do you uh, find the right solution to this? What are you beholding? What are you looking at the reason we're here this morning is to behold Lamb of God, uh, to hear this sermon, if you will, that John gives us and what it means to behold him and know him as the Lamb. So as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, means, which when translated is Peter. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. 
Philip found Nathanael, who told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. Let's pray together. Father, we pray in these moments for ears to hear. Our minds and our eyes are fixated on this and that. We pray in these moments you would help us to behold you. Show us your wonder. Show us your grace. Show us your power. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. This morning we are going to learn what does it mean to come and see. What does it mean to come and see Jesus? What does it mean to be associated with Christ as a disciple, to follow him like that? And I bring that up because it's one thing to know about Jesus, or it's one thing to know about something or someone. It's another thing to be a follower, uh, to be devoted, to be uh, in a relationship with him, if you will. And let me share this as an illustration to, get about, to bring about the differences. Uh, when we lived in Mississippi, which is where we were before we moved here, uh, there was a lot of um, things that was special about that area that we lived in and a lot of things that they were proud of. And one individual that they were proud of was a, a writer, author named Walker Percy. He was from that area, and they, they were very proud that he had connected uh, roots to that area. And so there was a, a documentary about him that came on, and I watched it, and it was, it was really neat. It was a lot to, to learn about him and, and by uh, as well, a lot to learn about the area and his circumstances and what he grew up in that area of, of Mississippi. But let me take that idea of um, enjoying Walker Percy as an author a, a step uh, further. Let's say, for example, that you uh, not only do you like Walker Percy, but you, you, you really like him. Like you enjoy reading his uh, works, his stories, uh, things that he's produced on a regular basis. Uh, you enjoy him so much that you've joined the, the Walker Percy fan club. And so you enjoy sitting with other uh, fans of Walker Percy and, and reading passages together, discussing those passages and how, they, how they've impacted you, the kind of difference that's made in your life. You enjoy that. You can remember the day when Walker Percy was able to speak and he came to your gathering and he uh, spoke before you and it was amazing. I mean, it, it was life-changing to hear him speak like that and to uh, see him like that. Now, let me take that, that illustration just a, a step further, okay? And you're going to have to use your imagines, imaginations here. Imagine not only that you're a fan of Walker Percy, you enjoyed his writings, read his writings all the time, but you actually married Walker Percy, okay? Again, it's, use your imagination, Okay. You're in, you're in this kind of marriage relationship with him, and things are, are very distinctive and very different because of that. His life is with you. Everything that's, that's about him, his presence is, is kind of engulfing your life, and you're a part of his life in this unique way. And you all know when you get married, there are certain things you can and, and can't do. 
Like, for example, you, there's a sense where you, you've lost a sense of into, independence so as to have greater intimacy with somebody else. And so if you decide to go out to Walmart and make a Walmart run, you can't just leave the house without saying anything. You've got to tell your spouse, hey, I'm, I'm going to this place. I'm going to do this. And so you'd actually have to tell Walker Percy that you're going to Walmart. The point is to be in that kind of relationship there's a sense of, of loss of independence, but you, you gra- gain greater intimacy, uh, greater uh, depth of love. There's, there's something more real that's in your life. That's the difference between knowing things about Jesus and liking him versus knowing him as to follow him, knowing him as to believe in him, knowing him as to be in a relationship with him. I bring that up because of the, the Twice in this passage, we hear, we read this invitation to come and see. It's an invitation to come and follow. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Learn what it is to be in, in relationship with me, to be identified with me, to, to know things that are distinctly true about me. I want you to come and see. And so this morning, what does it look like or what do we learn when we come and see? What does this passage teach us about being a follower, being a disciple? What are some of the things it shows us? And I want to give four points regarding this. Coming and seeing means understanding our desires. Coming and seeing means understanding him personally. Coming and seeing means understanding that it means change. And then finally, coming in and seeing means understanding maybe our skepticism and how he knows us personally. So our desires personally change and how he knows us and deals with our skepticism. So first, uh, coming and seeing means understanding our desires. Uh, when you come to Christ, you've got to consider your motives, your desires to be with him. And this is where, this is where I'm getting that and where I'm, why I'm asking that question. In verse 35, the passage starts out, John is, the Baptist is with his disciples. And there's some, in some public area, not sure exactly where it is. And John seemingly turns to his disciples and says, hey, behold, the Lamb of God. He, he points out Jesus to them. And John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, know what that means. Uh, that they know that that's their cue to go and follow him, to be associated with him. In fact, if, if they failed to leave John the Baptist, to leave his ministry and go participate in Jesus' ministry, John would have failed on some level. So they know instinctively just to go. And they get close to Jesus and they begin to follow him, however that practically looks. And Jesus turns to them, realizing that they're there, sensing that they're there. And what does he say? He asks them a question. What are you seeking? That's what he asked them. What are you seeking? Not who did you vote for? Not what do you believe? Not, uh, you know, what uh, Jewish practice are you connected with? What are the habits of your life? Uh, He doesn't turn to them and give them a sermon or a lecture or anything. He simply turns to them and says, what are you seeking? Which is a question of what? He's, He's asking them, what are your motives? Why are you following me? What are your desires? What do you want to see happen here? What are you seeking? What are you expecting? And it's such a, a, a great question for us. Because Jesus, in a sense, is saying, before we go any further, before we move further into this, I reveal more to you about me, why are you here? Why do you want to follow me? What are you seeking? Your desires and what you want say so much and maybe say everything about who you are. 
Uh, it says that more than what you do, more than um, your skill set, more than where you're from, more than who your friends are, what you desire says so much about who you are. And Christ is coming to these gentlemen and he says, what are you seeking? What are you after? And for us, it's the same question, the same point of application. What are you seeking? Which is to say, why are you here this morning? Why are you seeking Christ? Why do you come to church? Why do you struggle to come to church? What are you after? What, what are your expect, expectations with him? What are you, what are you seeking? If you're angry, why are you angry? If, if you're bored, why are you bored? If you're indifferent, if you're apathetic, why are you feeling those things? If you're disappointed, why is that the case? What are you seeking? What are you expecting from Christ? What are you expecting uh, to be gained in your life? Why do you want to follow him? Why do you want to believe in him? Why do you associate yourself with his gospel? What are you expecting? The second thing, coming and seeing him uh, means understanding him personally, understanding him personally. Again, verse 35, John the Baptist says, there's the Christ, there's the Messiah, there's the, the king that you have been looking for, disciples. Go and follow him. And they see him. Jesus, what are you seeking? And what do the disciples say to him? They say in verse 38, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, the common language that you would, expression you would use, where are you staying? Where are you staying? What they're saying is, We've got a lot of questions. We've got a lot. We want to talk to you about so much. It's, it would be weird for us to stand right here in public out like this. Can we go somewhere more private where we can have dialogue, where you can tell us, answer more of what's, what's going on, more of the concerns that we have? Can you share us more? Where are you staying? It's getting late in the day. We want to talk more. And Jesus simply says, come and see. It's the first time that we hear this sermon, if you will. Come and see. It's an invitation to them. It's an invitation associated with promise. Uh, He doesn't say, uh, he doesn't give them a lecture. He doesn't give them demands, but he just invites them. You want to see? You want to know? Well, come. Come and follow me. Come and be identified with me, which is to say, Jesus inviting them, I want you to come and know me. Know my habits Know who I am. Know uh, the, the, the answers that I have to your questions. Come and know me personally. Come and, and, and follow me and, and see me. And that's an invitation for us as well. Come and see. Come and see who he is personally. Don't come and see his doctrine. Don't come and see uh, his expectations. But come and see who he is. Come and know him and what it means to be in knowledge of him. It's an invitation to us. You think about why John is giving us this account. It's so that we would come and see. It's like John is saying to us, I I know you weren't there physically and you couldn't be there physically, but the testimony that I'm giving you, this gospel account is so that you can come and see, so that you can come and investigate and find and, and know him personally there's that one detail that we get in verse 39. It says that it was 4 p.m. Or some translations say that the 10th hour. That's a detail. 
That's, that's a detail that an eyewitness would give. It's, it's, it's John's way of saying, I was there. I, I saw him. I hung out with him. I ate with him. He answered my questions. I, I heard his truth and his promises. I saw how he related to this person and that person, how he healed this person. And, and what he did after uh, the grave, after the crucifixion, I saw all that. And I'm, I'm writing this for you so that you can come and see, so that you can come and have your questions answered, so that you can know him personally. There's only two things you can do with Christ. You can investigate him, you can come and see, and you can conclude the Gospels, they were a lie. The apostles, they made those stories up. Those things weren't, those weren't miraculous. Those were just that's just their imagination at work. And you can conclude that he wasn't Lord, that he wasn't a savior, that he didn't really die. You can conclude all that, or you conclude that what he said was true. He did die on a cross. He did suffer for my sin. He was resurrected to new life so that I can know new life. And when I put my faith and trust in him, I have life with God. I have forgiveness, been born again you can conclude either he was a liar or he was Lord, that there's no middle ground. Come and know him personally and find out if he is who he says he is. Come and see is the invitation to us. Third thing, understanding him or coming and seeing him means change. And this is a short point Uh, What I mean by this is in this passage, everybody who encounters Jesus does not stay there. They don't stay where they started. When they meet Jesus, change happens in their lives. They respond to to him. For example, in verse 35, the two disciples, they hear John's sermon, and it changes. They respond in faith to those words, and they go to Christ, and they begin to follow him. Verse 40 Andrew gets his brother Simon and brings him to Jesus. A change has happened in his life. Uh, Verse 43, Jesus comes to Philip, and what does he do? He follows Jesus. Jesus simply says, come and follow me, and he responds. He moves towards Jesus. Verse 45, Philip gets his brother Nathaniel, and he comes and he sees who Jesus is, and Nathaniel is changed as well. Everyone is moving towards Jesus to know him is to move towards him. The implication is if, if you're going to know him, if you're going to relate to him, if you're going to follow him, you've got to move. You've got to change your direction and move towards him. Application for us is simple. What would it look like for you to move toward Jesus? What would it look like to move toward him in your life? We're all in different places uh, spiritually different places in our stage of life, what does it mean for you to know him, to walk with him, and to move towards him? Is there something that you have to stop doing to move towards him? Is there something you have to start doing in order to move towards him? To come and see him means a change of direction. It means moving towards him. Are you moving towards him? What keeps you from moving towards him in your life? Last point, understanding and coming seeing him means understanding how much he knows us. And I get this from Nathaniel. Nathaniel is such a skeptic. Uh, he's introduced that Philip tells him some, some truths about Christ, and Nathaniel's like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, we get a, a, a similar story at the end of this gospel. Thomas, you remember doubting Thomas. The disciples come to him and say, we saw him, Jesus resurrected. The tomb is really empty. And Thomas says, I'll believe it when I see it. 
And so we get Nathaniel here, the skeptic. And it's a real invitation for us. Uh, verse 47, let me read it again. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching him, uh, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And this seems to be the turning point for him. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. It's the last part of John chapter 1. In other words, Philip has gone to Nathaniel and he said, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah, the, the guy that Moses has been talking about in the law. I found him, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, nothing good comes from that area, that, that town, that there's no way that anybody of, of spiritual weight and impact comes from that area. It's a response of a skeptic. And we, and we get this response uh, today in the form of, you can't believe in God. Have you seen all the injustice in the world, all the suffering in the world? There's, there's no good God. The, the, the gospel, that's, that's ridiculous. You get this rolling of the eyes at Christianity because there's no way somebody that good could be involved in a part of a world like this. How does Philip respond to this skepticism? Does Philip get defensive? Does he give him a book to read by C.S. Lewis? Read this apologetical book. Let me listen. To, you need to listen to this sermon. You need to read this. You need to answer these questions. What does Philip say to him? He says, come and see. He gives him an invitation. He says, come and see Christ. Come and investigate for yourself, which I think is huge for us because it, it, it reveals something about Philip to us. It shows us how confident Philip was in his Savior how confident he was that, that once he's exposed to Christ, it'll make all the difference in the world. And, and Philip knew that once he saw Nathaniel, that he would want to draw him to himself, that he'd want to, to answer his questions, so to speak, and deal with his skepticism. And so Nathaniel goes, he comes, and he sees, and he sees Jesus, and Jesus says to him, you know, hey, here's this great Israelite. And then he says something kind of shocking, which is, it seems out of nowhere. He says, I saw you underneath that fig tree. And Nathaniel, whatever happened underneath that fig tree is, is something private, and it's a turning point for Nathaniel, and it moves him to faith. We don't know what the dialogue, what was going on underneath that tree, but when Nathaniel hears that, nonetheless, he confesses, you are the son of God. You must have known something. You saw something there that only God knows, something that is so private. You must be the son of God. There must be something special about you. So there must have been something good that came out of Nazareth. And Nathaniel makes this promise or makes this confession. But then there, there's one thing too in verse 51 I want to touch on before we, we close. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, Nathaniel has seen this sign. And he's saying to Nathaniel, it's great that you've seen the sign and you believe because of this, but you're going to need more to believe in me, to, to walk with me and, and pursue me and know me uh, over the course of your life. You're going to need more than this sign. You're going to need to understand and see how I relate to God. And so he says this, it feels kind of cryptic to us, but what Jesus is doing, he's making reference to something that happened in Genesis chapter 28 with Jacob. He has this vision and he sees that the heavens open up and this ladder come down and these angels ascending and descending. 
And Jacob wakes up and he names, renames the place that he's at. He calls it Bethel, which means dwelling of the house of God. And what Jesus seems to be doing here is he's saying that that ladder is me. And, and you are going to see angels descending and ascending on top of me, meaning I'm the connection between heaven and earth. I'm the connection between God and man. And you need to know more of that reality. You need to go deeper. And you can be impressed with the sign I've given you, how I knew about what was going on in the fig tree, but you need to see even more deeper. You need to see how I'm connected to the Father. Now, here's the, the thing for us. The invitation for us is, is to come and see. And there should be some comfort there. Jesus knew about Nathaniel. He knew his skepticism. And he still offers him the gospel in a sense. He still offers himself to him. It's the same with us. When we come and see, when we bring our skepticism to him, when we bring our our doubts to him, when we bring our questions to him, he's able to take those things. He's able to answer those things. He knows us and knows everything about us, and he still wants to be in our lives. He still wants us to know him. He can handle your deficits. He can handle your weaknesses, your, your, your wrongdoings, your failures, your mistakes, your shame, your guilt. He can handle it all. And he says, come to me. Come and know my cross. Come and know my life. Uh, let me close uh, with this, and we'll, we'll pray. I started this uh, passage by reminding us that John the Baptist gives us this sermon, Behold the Lamb of God, and we see him preaching it here. And it leads Jesus to say to these young disciples, come and see, come and follow me. Again, I I know that everybody here is coming from a different place, spiritually speaking. We're, We're at different stages of life. Some of you want to follow. You want to trust him. But there's things that you're concerned about that you don't want to move towards him, that you don't want to change. Some of us are, are scared to follow him. Can I really trust him that much? Is he really going to answer my prayers if, if I go to him? Uh, you, you, you might wonder, if, what if he gives up on me? Can, I really, is, can he really be relied upon? Uh, you have fears, you have struggles, you have worries. The things that you like that you just don't want to let go of. My question for you is simply, where do you need to consider Jesus in your life? Where do you need to come and see? Where do you need to behold him? Where do you need to know him? Where do you need to move towards him? We're all in different places. What does it look like for you today to hear that invitation to come and see? Would you pray with me? Father God, we know that we need you in our heart of hearts We confess it with our fears. We confess it with our anxieties. We confess it with our insecurities. We confess it with our distance. We confess it with how we distract ourselves. We know that we need you. We know that we need to come and see. We pray that you would work, that you would help us, that you would give us eyes to see, to behold you, the Lamb of God that takes away our sins, that takes away our failures, Help us to come and see, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.